So we want to welcome you here today. We're, we're in this series, uh, uh, Deeply Rooted. And so today we're looking at this subject. The title of this message is, is, is the source of your life. What is the source of your life? And Paul begins talking about it can either be godless thinking or it can be godly thinking. And uh, depending on the source of your life, we've talked about this through the series, that whatever is planted in you, whatever is rooted in you, will eventually break the surface, will eventually come out of you, it will eventually have a harvest, it, will di- it eventually will display uh, it, it, it in your life. And so if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 17. Here's the power of, of preaching through a book. When we preach through a book, or when I preach through a book, it forces you to deal with the parts of Scripture that you like and then the parts of Scripture that are difficult to deal with, right? Uh, maybe you're like that in your life journaling, and, and maybe there's portions of life journaling that you like to read, and there's portions of life journaling that are difficult to read. Uh, the reason we life journal is so that we go through all the Scripture. We see the whole counsel of God's Word. And so that's what brings us today to this subject that we're going to talk about. It's a little bit awkward for everybody, but we're going to talk about this topic of sex. And so I just want you to know up front, I'm for it. And uh, <laughs> just want to get that out of the way. And so, and so when you look at this subject of sex, when you start talking to pastors, there's a, there's, a couple of things, there's a couple of things that pastors don't like to talk about. Money and sex. Uh, because it's awkward, right? Um, it, it's it's in money and sex. It's important and personal. Uh, pra- pastors normally don't like talking about it. Uh, because of the emotion that comes with it. A congregation, you normally don't like hearing about it uh, because it's, it's important to you and it's, it's deeply personal to you. And so as a result, unfortunately, pastors have quit talking about this subject. And when, when you start looking at statistics about the, 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 the top reasons for divorce in America, money and sex. People don't know how to rightly handle their money, their finances, so there's God's blessing in their home and God's blessing on their life, and they don't know how to handle their sex life. And so I get it. I, I understand this is an uncomfortable topic. Uh, what's interesting to me is the responses I've gotten after every service, especially from the 18-year-olds till 25-year-olds. I sat with a, with a group of 18 to 25-year-olds last night after the service, after the 9 o'clock, talked to them. And you know what they told me? Thank you, thank you, thank you for finally talking about this honestly. You know what we hear? We hear you can't control your bodies. We hear there's, there's no boundaries. We hear nobody tells us the truth. And as a result, you know what some of them told me? Emotionally. I'm dealing with the scars. I'm dealing with the damage. I'm dealing with all the junk and the stuff of the lies that I believed or the lies that I was told by culture. So thank you for talking about this honestly and without any condemnation and judgment. So before we go any further, let me tell you, I don't want you to hear any condemnation from me. I don't want you to hear any condemnation out of Scripture. Uh, I love you guys. I am crazy about you guys. The fact is, I wouldn't want to pastor any other people group, church in the world. Man, I love you guys. And so I don't want you to hear any condemnation out of me. I don't want you to hear any condemnation from Scripture. I believe God forgives. God restores. I've watched God restore lives. I've watched God restore relationships. I've watched God restore uh, marriages. And so I, I believe that God can restore 
and rebuild lives and relationships, and he's a God of forgiveness, and he's a God of restoration. Now, next week, I'm talking about, I'm going to talk about the subject of how to fair-proof your marriage. And I'm going to talk to you really honestly about, about how to have a marriage that could be bulletproof in this area because we're watching so many marriages just, just crumble in this area. But today, I want to talk to you about this issue of, of what Paul begins to talk about is this issue of sexual immorality. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn with me. You're probably already there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what the scripture says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as a Gentile. So that's just another way of saying uh, people without Christ, the lost, the world. In the futility of their minds. So there's godless thinking. So the source of your life can either be godless thinking or it can be godly thinking. Both those sources will have an impact in your life. They are, it goes on, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So you're going to start noticing a spiraling down. So interesting we see how this plays out. You'll be able to see this play out in culture. They have become calloused. They have given themselves up to sensuality. Sensuality is different than sexuality. Sensuality is sexuality perverted. Sensuality is this. Sensuality is an excessive devotion, obsession with sexual pleasure. So giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy, and so that, that's something that, 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 that's a desire that cannot be filled. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So, so really clear, I mean, we can read it for ourselves. We know the focus of this passage is sexual immorality. I'm, I was reminded yesterday when I did a wedding, and I, I do very few weddings, and you know, and I'm telling you, that's one of the things that just breaks my heart with the four services that we do here is I, I'm telling you, I consider it an unbelievable honor when you ask me to, to be a part of that day for you and, and be a part of your wedding. And it, it breaks my heart every wedding I have to say no to. Uh, in fact, is the elders, uh, they, they know they can't trust me in that area, so, they don't, so they've kind of taken that over in which they system with someone else kind of tells you no because uh, it's just hard for me. And uh, but, but there was a family that had started with us and they had founding members and I'd watched their kids grow up and I've known them uh, ever since I've been here. And so they arranged the wedding at 1 o'clock on Saturday so I could do it and get here for 6 o'clock services. Because uh, normally if I do a wedding, I, I, I can't do any of the services. And so, so it had so been about a year since I'd done a wedding. And so I did the wedding and after the wedding, the photographer says, hey, can we, you got the marriage license so we can take a picture of it and uh, the bride and groom signing it and all that other stuff. And I said, sure, and I haven't done a wedding in a long time, so I pulled out the marriage license, and, and I was in shock. I hadn't seen the new revision. So used to it, it, it had two lines to sign, and it said groom signature, bride signature. Not anymore. It's party one signature, party two signature. And I'm like, I'm in shock. I, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm staring at it to where Melissa, the photographer, photographer walks up to me and says, Pastor, I know you don't do many weddings anymore, but do I need to help you? <laughs> and like, no, I'm trying to recover from what I just saw. And so the bride looked at me and says, oh, well, they explained it to us down at the courthouse that the groom, if it's traditional marriage, the groom signs party one, the bride signs party two. Party two. 
and where we're heading because culturally in our country marriage means nothing anymore it's not sacred it's not defined the day's coming you have a signature or signatures party one signature party two signature party three signature party four for additional parties cc but please see the back to where there's no boundaries in this issue of of marriage i want to give you three things this i want to give you three things this morning that i believe will help you that speaks into our culture where you'll be able to see it play out in our culture the first one is this godless thinking will affect my relationships godless thinking see we think thinking's kind of innocent uh, but Paul would say, God's word says, that godless thinking will affect my relationships. Verse 17, here's what the scripture says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying that not only is the focal point of this message or, or the, the scripture is sexual immorality, sexual immorality can and will affect a person's life. Fact is, sexual immorality, don't be deceived, it will affect your family. I mean, you can look at David's life in the Bible, right? Uh, you can see where, where David fell. Uh, uh, I mean, he was immoral. He committed an affair in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And then guess what? You see his kids fall in the same sexual sin. You see them fall, 2 Samuel chapter 13. See, there's this godless thinking that our young people are being taught, that our society is being taught, especially in this area of sensuality, that they're being taught about this godless thinking, and they're being taught this, that as long as I don't transgress, as long as I don't stop, step over the line, as long as I don't commit the act, as long as I don't physically do it, then it won't affect me, it won't affect my relationships, it won't affect my family, those around me. And so that means looking at porn where it's in a magazine, a movie, a computer screen, that means looking at porn is totally harmless. But I'm telling you, whatever you plant in your life, whatever you root in your life will break the surface of your life. It will affect your life. I've explained this before. I won't explain it again, the difference between transgression and iniquity, just so we're tracking, so we understand, so you can see how deep the healing is that God offers transgression is, is an outward, it's an, it's, it's an outward movement, it's an outward act. In, in, the, in the Old Testament, it's in the Hebrew. In the, in the Hebrew, it would be uh, transgress, and transgress means to step over a boundary line, step over a property line, step over a boundary line into someone else's property. Our English word would be trespass. In other words, if someone steps over a boundary line, a fence, a, a property line, uh, into somebody's yard, they are trespassing. So transgression is an outward movement. Iniquity is an inward movement towards sin. So transgression is outward. Iniquity is in the heart. Iniquity is in the thoughts. Um, it's an inward movement towards sin. And so many people think in this area that as long as I don't transgress, as long as I don't cross over the line, if I, as long as I'm not in the act, then it won't affect my wife. It won't affect my relationships. It won't affect my family. Many years ago, I was hanging out with a group of guys, and, and one of the guys, and, and, I, and I know him, and, and I know his wife, I, I know his kids, and so this guy started flirting or crossing the line, I felt, with a server. And so I, when nobody was around, I didn't call him out in front of everybody, and I just said, hey, because I care about him, and I care about his family, and I said, hey, let me ask you, don't you think you're it's a little over the top? Don't you think you're crossing the line? Here's what he told me. So he looked at me, and he said, Charlie. He said, I just, 
I just need to know I still got it. It's godless thinking. What if you realize you still got it and you can't say no? What does his wife feel? That his hus- her husband is out there just making sure he still has it. What does it say to his family? What does it say to his kids? Listen, I'm telling you, if it's in your heart, it'll affect your family. If it's in your heart, it'll break the surface. See, in- iniquity, okay, so iniquity is lust. Adultery is transgression. Iniquity is an inward movement. Transgression is an outward movement. And I'm telling you, God wants, God wants to heal both. Watch this, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced, speaking of Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. That's the outward movement. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's the inward movement. Lust, all of those thoughts. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. I'm telling you, impurity, in case nobody's told you, impurity will affect your life. Impurity will affect your faith. Impurity will affect your relationships. Impurity will affect everything about you. In other words, godless thinking, empty thinking will destroy you. And that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and following about this issue of, of, of thinking and this issue of your mind. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Remember, I told you, whatever is planted in you will break the service. Whatever is rooted in you will come out. The results of godless thinking, right here. In the God of peace, will be with you. You don't have to worry about getting caught. You won't have to worry about who's checking your browser. You won't have to worry about who's checking your text message. You won't have to worry about who's checking your emails. You won't have to worry about who's following, who might see you. I'm telling you, the result of, the result of godless thinking... destroys your peace but he says godly thinking the source peace of god to be with you here's the second thing hardening to my heart will affect my relationships and you're going to notice real quickly you're going to notice this spiral down and you're going to be able to you're going to be able to see it in life and in scripture verse 18 they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their of their heart I mean, there, there, there's a thought today, right? And, and so we know this. There's a thought today that if we, if we love each other and we're going to get married anyway, what difference does it make? What does marriage really mean? That's what our, that's what our country is asking right now. That's what our state's asking right now. Fact is, the wedding that I did on Saturday, it is the last, fact is, it was the first wedding that I started this. I will no longer say normally when a, when a pastor pronounces a, a man and wife, husband and wife, you would say, by the power vested in me in the state of Colorado, I pronounce you husband and wife. I will no longer say that because they don't vest me of that power. 
They don't give me that power because if they vest me of that power, if they give me of that power, then they can define for me what marriage is. They can come to the place when they tell me what marriages I do and what marriages I don't do. They didn't give me that power. That power was given to me by the authority of God's word. And right now what I say is, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the authority of his word, I pronounce you husband and wife. I mean, I'm telling you, this is such a deep subject. And, it's, and people are saying, well, what does marriage really mean? I mean, it's just a certificate. It's just a license. It's just a piece of paper. It's not just a license. It's not just a piece of paper. It is the blessing of God on your life. It is the blessing of God on your marriage. It is handling your, your, your sex life and handling that life in such a way that allows him to bless you. Listen, I'm telling you, God doesn't want to destroy your lives. I mean, we tell our children, do not play in the streets. Not because we don't love them, not because we don't want them to have fun, it's because we want to save their lives and we want them to have fun. And when God tells you and tells us that he doesn't want us to do something, it is not because he doesn't want us to have fun or that he is a prude. It's because he wants to save our lives and he knows what is the best for us. And when God says flee from sexual immorality, and the reason he says that is because sexual immorality opens up the door to all other kinds of sins. Deception, manipulation, dishonesty, lies. And when King David fell, when he committed adultery with, with Bathsheba, he had to cover it up, right? With deceit, with some lies, and murder. When you have sex outside of marriage, when you have premarital sex, you have to learn how to lie and deceive. And it affects your relationships with home, at home. And it, affects your, it affects your relationships with your family. It affects your relationship with God. I mean, if a, if a young p couple is going out on a date for the evening and they want to be impure, they don't come right out and say it right. When parents say, hey, where are you going? And they say, oh, we're, we're, we're going out to have sex. Mom and dad, fine, be in by 11. They don't say that right. <laughs> they are forced to lie. They have to lie about where they're going. They lie about what they're doing. Their hearts, what Scripture says, becomes callous, becomes hard. So when they come back into the home and mom or dad said, where you go, where'd you go? They had to lie. They had to deceive. What'd you do? They had to lie. They had to deceive. If you're married and, and you're an adult and you're going to have an affair or, or, or pornography or whatever, then you have, to be, you have to lie. You have to be deceptive. You have to, you have to sneak around for any kind of sexual immorality. And so what, it, what begins to happen, a hardness of the heart begins to happen, and you live a life of deceit. And, so, and when we do that, we come to church with impurity in our hearts. And so we stand with our hands raised and our hearts covered. And you learn. You learn how to be deceptive to, to God, and, and you're... You're no longer convicted. Your heart becomes so hard that it no longer even bothers you. In fact, is you justify it. And the, the word hardening, one of the words, one of the definitions is, is to be deprived of light. Uh, the individual I told you about when I said, hey, don't you think you're crossing the line with the, with the server? He didn't want light shined on him. You ever tried to convict someone? You ever tried to talk to someone about their behavior? This hardening of the heart, they, they resist anyone shedding light on their situation. 
In other words, what Scripture says is they're, they're blinded and they, they do not understand. They do not understand their own condition and the condition of their heart and condition of their family. That's why Hebrews 3.13 says, You must warn each other every day while it is still today so, so that none of you will be deceived by sin. And watch this, in a hardening against God. The third and the last thing is this. There'll be a continual lust and it will affect my relationships. That there'll be a continual lust and it'll affect my relationships. Verse 9. Is you just see this spiral down. And listen, let me tell you something. Paul uses two medical terms that is so fascinating to me. Uh, and we're going to understand those terms together so we can understand what's going on here. Verse 19. They have become calloused and then given themselves up to sensuality. By the way, God has an answer to, to sensuality. This is for free. God has an answer for sensuality. It is called sexuality. It is called marriage. One man for one woman. And he goes on and he says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So there's this continual spiral down, this, this hardening of the heart, this losing of sensitivity, this giving ourselves over to sensuality. And, and sin has this ability to harden your heart and affect people. In fact, is the hardness of heart in the Greek means, means wood that was once soft and once usable. You could heat a house with it. You could, you could cook dinner with it. You could build a fire with it. Now has become petrified wood. In other words, it's of no use any longer. But he uses two medical terms. And so he used a medical term with the word callous. They become callous. And that was a medical term that was used in their day. And it meant this, that when a bone had been broken and when the bone was reset... The calloused that repaired it became harder than the actual bone itself. He's talking about this, this hardening of a substance. When your heart is broken, when you have no answer to life, and you have, don't understand the meaning of life, or maybe you're scared there may be a God, then your heart will be hardened to life and to the things of God. And Paul says there's an ignorance in them with a hardening of the heart. In fact, is what he says, sin will harden your heart. How could he not be talking about our culture? Some people will say, they read the Bible, you don't understand, we're so much more advanced than them, and we're so much more sexual than them, and all this other stuff. Now I'm telling you what, if you studied what was going on in Ephesus when Paul wrote this, our state, we look like saints. The bathhouses and the slave boys, slave girls, mistresses, and everything else that went on, I'm telling you, we are nowhere near where Ephesus is sexually. See, a better translation, because he's talking about selling out or giving ourselves over to sensuality, would be beyond pain. In other words, what in the world are we going to do with, with our pain? Because if you don't deal with your pain, I'm just telling you, if you have a wound, if you don't deal with your pain, what is rooted in you will come out of you. If you don't deal with your pain, then you're going you're gonna to mask it. In other words, you'll find a way to dull your pain. And only God can take away your hurt. Only God can take away your pain. And See, the, the world thinks God has like a problem with sex. No, he doesn't. He created it. And sensuality is like this excessive devotion to sensuality or sensual pleasure. And God has an answer for that. But when you look at the term sensuality, it is another medical term. The medical term we would use is anesthesia. Um, you, ever, you ever had surgery? I had surgery once. 
a uh, few years back, I had, uh, I had hernia surgery. And uh, I'd put it off for like 15 years. The doctor says you really need to get this done. And so 15 years later, and now I had like three hernias that they had to deal with. And it was, it was like, you know what, you've got to get it done. So, so I scheduled my appointment. I, I went in for surgery. And uh, I came out of surgery. I'm in the recovery room. And uh, unfortunately, Charlie came awake before the nurses knew he was supposed to come awake. And so uh, uh, I, I came awake in, in like the recovery room, and there's the nurses station. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of nurses there that go to our church, but HIPAA, they can't tell you a thing. And so, uh, <laughs> so, so I, I start coming to, and I start hearing a lady cry hysterically. Now remember, I'm just coming out of surgery. They have cut me, but I am feeling no pain, right? Why? Because I'm under the influence. It's a, it's a deadening of pain. It's, it's a, uh, I didn't understand my true condition. And I'm coming out of surgery, and I hear this lady next to me. She's crying hysterically. So I kind of look over to see what's going on. And they hadn't pulled the curtain between us so that they could watch us, you know, because it was a recovery room. And so there's a doctor on the other side of her bed, and a doctor is telling her something, because, you know, I was under the influence, and he's telling her something like, we are so sorry, we, were, we, we weren't able to do your surgery. And so basically, we weren't able to do it. And so she was crying hysterically. And so the doctor walks away. I roll over and I look at her and I go, it'll be okay. It'll, it'll be okay. And, and I said, what's going on? What's wrong? What's so, why are you crying? I'm telling you what, you want to get attention in the recovery room? Start talking to the person next to you. And so nurses started running. They pulled up the screen, something about HIPAA at this point. And so, so, so they pull up the curtain, and then they say, you know what? We're going to get you to a room. And so they got me to the recovery room. Karen came in. A bunch of our pastors came in. And I am telling you, I, I was feeling no pain. I have never been funnier in my life. I mean, that was, I'm telling you, that was some of my best stuff. And so to where the nurses came in two or three times and says, listen, we got patients recovering. You got to stop it. You got to quit. I can't stop. I mean, you know, I mean, it's funny. And I says, well, well, how do I get to go home? And so the nurse looked at me and says, well, you got to do what all patients do. You got to go to the bathroom. I said, you coming with me? She's like, no. I says, good, because I don't work well under pressure. And so <laughs> I'll be right back. And so we get to go home. And I'm feeling no pain. I mean, on the way home, I was like, Karen, you, Karen, you want a mountain bike? <laughs> and I get home, and six or seven hours later, it wore off. Right. All of a sudden, I realized I'd been cut. All of a sudden, I realized my true condition. What Paul says, sensuality, the danger of it is this. You're beyond pain. You're totally numb. You don't even get, you don't even understand your true condition. You can come, you can hear a sermon, you can stay in worship, and you're not even aware. You lose your sensitivity for a wife, for a family, for relationships. You learn how to be deceptive with God. You're no longer convicted, and that's a very dangerous place to be. See, deceptive sex, sneak around sex, whatever you want to call it. You develop an appetite that God never intended for you to develop. 
an appetite that never can be satisfied. And there's a continual, what he said, greedy. There's a continual lust for more. You develop an appetite for secret sex or deceptive sex. And, and you combine the high risk or the adrenaline rush of that in sex. And it creates a, an appetite that God never intended for you to have that can never be quenched. And then you get married, and you don't have to be deceptive any longer. You don't have to sneak around any longer. And then one day, the man looks at the wife and says, you know what? Sex just isn't the, sh the same. So let's bring some things into the bedroom to try to spice things up. This appetite goes both ways for men and women. When you look at needs, uh, when you look at appetites, uh, Men, it's sex. Women, it's romance. And you can create an unhealthy appetite in dating, whether it's sneaking around sex or sneaking around romance. And so we know this. When you look at men's needs, women's needs, the number one need of a man is sex. Sex on the woman's list is like number 13. Gardening is number 12. <laughs> Seriously, you'd rather weed the garden? <laughs> and so a man will begin to talk to a, a woman in the office and begin to cross the line. He'll begin to flirt just a little bit. And many times he's fulfilling an appetite that he doesn't even know he has. And eventually it'll turn into an affair. And to have an affair, what do you have to do? It has to be secretive. You have to sneak around. He's now satisfying an appetite that God never intended for him to have. See, all sexual immorality is based on deception. And then he will believe he loves her because he now confuses lust with love. And he'll divorce his wife. He'll marry her. And then what happens? Doesn't have to sneak around anymore. It's no longer deceptive. And after a few years, he'll say to her what he said to you. It's just not the same. And he'll begin to sneak around again to satisfy an appetite. God never intended it for half. And he'll confuse lust with love. Potiphar's wife did not love Joseph, or she would not have allowed him to stay in a prison for 13 years. And you may say, I'm guilty, what do I do? What's the answer? You confess it and you, re you repent and you confess it to each other. You talk about it. You, you open up. You, you get godly friends. You develop godly relationships. You get in a life group, and you realize where this begins, and it begins with the eyes. You don't Listen, you don't have a lust problem. You have a looking problem. Here's what the Scripture says, Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you, 
I'm telling you, if you do not want to commit adultery, do not allow lust to stay in your heart because whatever is planted in you will break the surface. Whatever is planted in you will come out sooner or later. Billy Graham would say this. He said this for years. Billy Graham would say, uh, it's not the first look that gets us, it's the second look. The problem with that is many people will just take one really, really, really long first look. Because I'm telling you, looking, what Scripture says, looking empowers lust. That's why pornography is so dangerous. You don't have a lust problem, you have a looking problem, and all of a sudden it develops a dangerous appetite in your life. Now listen, you can call me too conservative, you can call me legalistic, uh, you can call me whatever you want, I don't care. Karen and I will not go to a movie with nudity. Period. We may have missed some really good movies. Why would I want to go to a movie where there's nudity and devalue my wife? Why would, I want to, why would I want to open that door up? And you have to come to the place to understand the dangerous thing of this, that when we crack that door, when we open that door, it brings so many things in, deception and lies and dishonesty. It hurts your relationships at home and with family and with God. And I'm telling you, husbands and wives, and you have to learn to struggle together. You have to learn to open up the dialogue together. Listen, ladies, let me just tell you something. Don't condemn your husband if he's honest with you and he tells you that he has a lust problem. When he says he has a lust problem, that is not a love problem. He has a lust problem. Learn to struggle together. Young ladies, when a man tells you, if you love me, you will give it to me. The very thing you give him to keep him will be the very thing that will cause you to lose him. Telling you, you have to learn to struggle together. When a man tells his wife that he struggles with lust, don't condemn him. Hold him accountable. Talk to him about that. The number one person he should be able to talk to is you. The number one person you should be able to talk to is your spouse. Listen, I have a lot of experience with couples in this area. And I'm just telling you, she can forgive lust, but it's really hard for her to forgive the lie. Every backwash of affairs that I've dealt with as a pastor, you know where we spent most of our time? The lie, the deception. How can I ever trust him again? How do I know that he really loves me? How do I know who's calling him? How do I know what the text message are? How do I know he doesn't have a secret phone, a secret email account, a secret cell phone number somewhere that I'm not aware of? I called him at 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon, and he didn't answer. Where is he? Telling you, Satan works in darkness, not in the light. And that's why you have to struggle together. You have to be willing to struggle together. You don't condemn each other. You talk through this, and you bring it into the light. Psalms 103.3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits who forgives. Watch this. This is deep. Forgives all of your iniquity. Who heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Proverbs 27, 20. Just as death and destruction are never satisfied. Here we go. So human desire is never satisfied. It's never satisfied apart from God. Matthew 6, 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Listen, I'm telling you, if you look at darkness, your whole body will be dark. Proverbs 31.1. Job. I'm sorry, Job 31.1. Job makes this commitment or covenant. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Not to look with lust at a young woman. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? I know this message is uncomfortable. I know this is, a, is an uncomfortable subject. But let me ask you, what is God, what is God saying to you? And how does, God want you to, how does God want you to respond to his message? Maybe for some of you, you need to accept him and ask Jesus to come into your life and to transform you for the very first time. Maybe some of you need to open up a, a dialogue with a husband or wife. Maybe some of you are dating. Maybe your commitment is from this point on, we're going we're gonna to live in purity. So God can bless our relationship. So God can bless our marriage when that day comes. Maybe some of you have to learn to struggle together. Maybe you have to change some of your TV viewing habits, computer viewing habits, and get someone around you that's godly that can hold you accountable. telling you, I'm sometimes so grieved as a pastor, the destruction and devastation that this brings to families, to relationships and marriages. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know what, I have a burden, I just need someone to pray for me, and it doesn't have anything to do with what you're talking about, but it's, it's just a different area, that's okay. And you may be going through a difficult spot in your life, and Maybe having a financial issue, a health issue, a, a relation, relational issue, we want to pray for you. You may want to pray for someone else. You may want to pray for discernment for the future. If you're carrying a burden, you already know who you are. We're, we're just inviting you. That after I pray and we stand, as you stand up, as you make your way out and down to the front, uh, we'll have people down here that will, they'll not only walk with you, but they'll pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. So after I pray, we stand, you come if you need prayer. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the power of your name. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, we ask that you pull this church very closely to you. And that, Father, we respond to you. And would you break through the dullness of our minds so we can hear from you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.